Genesis chapter 3. Verse number 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. I know what you're thinking. The perfect verse for the Christmas season. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Adam and Eve have just sinned. They've plunged the world into death. Upon doing so, their first instinct is to cover themselves, to hide from God. Seems as though every day God would meet with them in the cool of the day and walk through the garden. But this particular day, Adam and Eve are not at their appointed spot. And so in verse number 9, God asks a question, if you'll allow me to diverge from the King James pronoun. Where are you? Where are you? Of course, this question is rhetorical. An omniscient God would know exactly where they're positioned. God's not asking because he doesn't know where Adam is physically. He's asking because Adam doesn't understand where he is spiritually. Simply put, Adam and Eve have transgressed. It's caused them to stray from where God wanted them to be. He wanted them to live perpetually in a place called holiness, in which they were in perfect fellowship with him. And now they have forsaken that. Right now in churches across America, there are men, women, boys, girls, sitting in pews, Bibles in their lap, perhaps even standing behind pulpits. They're dressed in their Sunday best, but all the while the Holy Spirit is whispering into their heart. Where are you? You're not where I mean for you to be. Oh Lord, I'm sitting in church. 
I'm standing behind a pulpit. I'm teaching a Sunday school class. I'm working with the kids. I'm in the nursery. And yet still the Holy Spirit asked the question, where are you? These are Christians that have allowed sins of varying degrees to cause them to stray from God's holy expectation. We've all been there. I've been there. Bad's the Lord's working me over this morning. I wonder if I'm not there now. So we looked at Adam and Eve and their example. They were called upon to answer one simple question, and so are we, in the matter of our relationship and our walk with our Creator. Where are you? Father, I desperately need your help. I have no confidence in me. I have no confidence in my ability. I have no confidence in my spirituality or my godliness. The only confidence I have is in your word and in your Holy Spirit's ability to take the stammering ramblings of an imperfect man and apply them to our hearts in a way that only you can. Lord, as best I know, I'm right with you. But I cannot help but wonder that maybe this message is as much for me as for anybody in here. It's so easy to drift. It's so easy to lose our our moorings and find ourselves away from the God who loves us. And when that happens, revival cools. And church services become ho-hum and predictable. And great things don't happen. People stop getting saved. Families stop getting healed. Miracles stop happening, and we get so comfortable in the predictable deadness of our Christian walk. God, if I'm the cause of that, forgive me. We desperately need you to touch us today. And may Christ be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. To fully appreciate this question, where are you? We've got to look to... The nature of Adam and Eve's transgression. You see, all sin is rooted in three wrong categories. In 1 John, he, he gives us a glimpse into this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't say it's weakened or lessened. It says it's not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When you look at when, when Jesus was tempted of Satan, by the way, don't lose sight of the fact that these three temptations that we see are not the only temptations. It says he was tempted 40 days. The whole time he was out there, he was being tempted. These three that the Bible mentions are the three representative temptations. And it's so interesting, they fall right in line with what John says here. Satan says, command that these stones be made bread. That was a matter of the lust of the flesh. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Show it, prove it. That would be the pride of life. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world, everything that you can see. If you'll bow down, you'll have me. You'll, you'll have it, the lust of the eyes. And as we look in Genesis chapter 3, we see all three of these categories clearly here. Verse number 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So we're going to use these as our guidepost, if you will, to examine our own hearts and spiritually speaking, asking ourselves this question, where are you? You need to understand that as I say you, I mean you, but I also mean me. I don't preach from some moral authority. The only reason I, I stand higher than you is logistics, so that you can see and hear me. And I'm sorry for you. The fact is, we're all on level ground here, y'all. So the first question, where are you in the world? Oh, yeah, I had that verse for you, too. Where are you in relation, first of all, to your appetites? She saw that the tree was good for food. Eve saw the fruit, and she wanted it. And what she saw, this lust of the eyes, overrode what God had clearly told her. Now, there's some questions as to whether or not God ever said, neither shall you touch it. He may have, he may not have. She may have added that on. But he most certainly said, don't eat it. He most certainly said, don't eat it. She saw that it was good for food. But clearly, it was not good for food. 
Would you agree with me if something kills you? It's not good for food. (laughs) That's one of my problems. I see a lot of things that I think are good for food. And they're not. And that's why I'm just north of three bills. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that I see is good for food. And it's not. In fact, I could make a whole message out of things we take into our body that are not good for our bodies. And I'm sorely tempted. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. You see, to eat that fruit meant death. By definition, that fruit was not good for food. Her eyes lied to her. Eve allowed Satan to cultivate an ungodly appetite to which she ultimately fell. We tell the young people this all the time. You've got to be so careful about the appetites that you cultivate in your life. Because an appetite, once cultivated, can be suppressed, but rarely can it be eliminated. We're in that weird place with our kids, especially Claire. We, we don't want to be body shaming and all that kind of stuff, but we want her to be healthy. And she eats like a kid that has a metabolism that burns everything off. Because it does. But if she's anything like her dad, there will come a day that the metabolism will stop burning like it used to. So it's so important that she has good habits now. How do you teach a kid that with making her feel like you think she's not great like she is? I don't know. How do you teach a kid that when she sees dad eating garbage? What's my problem? My problem is I cultivated appetites I shouldn't have way back when, and I can't get over them. Right now, as Christians under the sound of my voice, whether you're here or watching online or whatever, you have or are cultivating appetites in what you let in through your eye gates and your ear gates, what you take into your body, what you allow or don't allow. You're cultivating appetites, and they're going to get you. Because what looks good for food, what looks like it would be profitable, is not. And we are in grave danger when we ignore God's word in favor of fleshly appetites. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever men soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And how many people do we know that grew up in godly homes, went to Christian schools, youth group in the church, and they're living the life of the world because that's what their flesh wants. And they don't understand that that appetite has lied to them. 
and may ultimately take their lives. We have two options for why we choose what we choose. We're either going to choose that which makes us feel good and satisfies a fleshly urge, or we're going to choose that which pleases God according to his word. Well, I don't know if I'll be back at church tonight, preacher, tonight or not, preacher, because, you know, I'm tired. Who wins? Him or your flesh? Now, you know me. I don't beat people over the head with this. There's people that have to work early, and I get all that. I get all that. But the fact is, if you think it's more appropriate for you to go home, watch football, and skip church, you're wrong. You're not wrong because my preaching is that great. You're not wrong because this church is perfect. You're wrong because the Bible's clear. God expects his people to worship corporately. You say, well, the Bible doesn't command Sunday night. That's true. But it does say so much the more as you see the day approaching. My question for you is this. Have you strayed from biblical principled obedience, opting rather to pursue satisfying your fleshly appetites. Where are you? Where are you in the matter of your appetites? Number two, where are you in the matter of your assessments? We looked at the lust of the flesh. I think I misspoke earlier. It's the lust of the flesh, not the lust of the eyes. His fleshly appetites. But it says in verse 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. I ask you a question. How do you assess what's right and wrong in your life? How do you assess what's good versus best? How do you do it? Well, I go by my experience. I've got news for you. Your experience can mislead you. I've known people over the years that lived a barnyard morality. And then near the end of their adulthood, they got right with God, got saved. God moved in and took over and praised the Lord for that. That is the exception. It is not the rule. Well, it worked out okay for them. And what about the thousands that it doesn't? So your experience may lie to you. Well, I follow advice. That's great if it's good advice. I've gotten a lot of bad advice. Well, I follow my heart. We've got to stop letting Disney teach our kids their morals. We've got to stop let, letting Nickelodeon. I'm not saying throw out Snow White. That's not what I'm saying. My soul, you come to my house, Mickey Mouse everywhere. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is an underlying idea in all of these kids' programming now. And would to God it was as simple as it used to be. But now, follow your heart. 
But my Bible that I believe to be the inspired and errant and infallible word of God says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know your heart. Follow my heart. You better not. Well, I just, you know, whatever way the culture is going, God forbid. Our culture is wicked and vile. Now, all of these may play a role. It could be that you have had good experiences that have taught you some things. It could be that you had, have, uh, that you have uh, followed some good advice. It could even be that your heart at one point was surrendered to the Holy Spirit and it did lead you in the right way. And it could be that you followed some aspect of culture that has helped you. For instance, I preached in Cambodia for two weeks. They don't know what it is to wear a tie in church. Hallelujah. I like that culture. I didn't like their lack of air conditioning, but I like their culture. (laughs) But you better not rely on any of them. So how do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I make my assessments? These all may play a role, but they pale in comparison to the only real and reliable standard, and that's God's Word. Because I got news for you. Your senses and your understanding can mislead you. Would you say it's reasonable to conclude that Peter's maybe top 10 greatest Christians? I'd, I'd put him in the top 10. I mean, my soul, he was the one Jesus gave keys to the church. If Peter couldn't trust his senses, should we? Well, I know what I saw. I know what I, know what I felt. I know what I experienced. Peter was one of three people on the Mount of Transfiguration to see Jesus transfigured. One of only three. He got to see Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah. Something interesting, by the way. They knew who they were. How? Do you think Peter kept a snapshot? You think Peter went on Facebook, looked at Moses' profile? No. There's no way he could have known who it was. So how in the world did he know? Because the Bible says when we're in heaven, we'll know, even as we're known. Pastor, will I know my child, my baby that's there? You absolutely will. And they'll know you. I got three that'll know me. And I'll know them. I'll say, look, here's Moses. And Moses will go, look, there's Andy. I can't believe he made it. (laughs) Peter was there. But what's he say in 2 Peter 1? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we had known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. I saw it and I heard it. But listen to what he says. We have also 
a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as in the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I saw it, I heard it, and yet I don't trust it. All I trust is this book. Peter understood that his eyes and his ears and all of his senses were subject to being wrong, but God's word knows no such danger. And Eve assessed her situation through sight. She assessed her situation saying, that is pleasant to the eyes, and it killed her. Proverbs 14, 12, 16, 25 both say the same thing. There is a way. It seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Where are you? Right now you may have strayed from God. You may be in hiding because you've been walking by sight and not by faith. Where are you? I got some mountains I need moved, y'all. I'll tell you one. I won't tell them all to you. I'll tell you one. We desperately need this family life center. And for the first time in the years I've been talking about it, for the first time, I'm scared we may not get it. For the first time in all of this, my faith is wavering. Because... Somebody sitting in a Sunday morning crowd looks around and says, you know what I mean, filled your auditorium. You look at the giving statements. Their trajectory is wrong. There's still spaces in the parking lot. What kind of fool believes God would have him build another building? And we haven't filled the ones we got. I agree. It makes sense. By sight, ought to shut up about it. God won't let me. Because the way I've assessed this thing, as best I know, has not been by my senses, because my senses tell me I've lost my mind. And then you get into the whole thing of, well, wait a minute, God, God's not double-minded. If God's for that, then God's going to provide that, and you're going to see that in the church. And then I start asking myself the question, but wait a minute, if God said that, but it's not happening over here, then it must be me. 
And God knows my heart. If I'm the one keeping this ministry from being all that it could be for Jesus Christ, then God move me. Or could it be like Lazarus? God says, no, it's not stinky enough yet. It's got to look worse. And then I'll be there. But I look at my own life and I say right versus wrong, good versus best. I better not trust me to make that assessment like Eve did. I better use this book. And my question to you is simply this. Are you strayed from God? Are you in hiding? Because for so long now you've been walking by sight and seeing things as you think they are instead of how God wants them to be. Where are you in the matter of your appetites? Where are you in the matter of your assessments? But then, where are you in relation to your authority? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. In that moment, Satan convinced Eve of at least two lies. Number one, God is holding out on you. There's something good that you could have that God doesn't want you to have. And number two, you deserve to have what God's kept from you. Let me give two responses to those lies. First of all, God's holding out on you. God does not hold out on us. Psalm 8411, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So if you're walking uprightly and he's withholding it, it must not be a good thing. Eve, he's holding out on you. No. He's protecting you from death. But even if God does decide to hold something back from us, he has the authority to do so. We do not. But sometimes we get this idea that we have more authority than we do. So, In reference to God, my walk with him, how much authority do I have? And the answer is none. What? What did Jesus say before he went to heaven? All power. That's authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. How much is all? All. 
So any authority that you have in a temporal way, whether it's as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a pastor, as a boss at work, any authority that you have temporally here, you have it on loan. It still belongs to God. He's letting you use it. How much authority do I possess? The answer is none. None. We drift from God's presence when we assume that authority for ourselves that God has not given to us. If I hear this once, I've heard it a million times. I deserve to be happy. No, you don't. And I don't. God may give us occasion to be happy, and we're thankful for it, but we don't deserve it. I deserve to be paid more. If you're honest, you probably don't. I deserve to be seen and heard. You have a right to your opinion. And everybody else has a right to ignore it. Well, Andy, is that really that big a problem? Check out with word of mouth on Facebook and you tell me. (laughs) I deserve to enjoy the world. Dare I? I do. So I'm going to try this marriage thing out without being married. Wrong. Marriage is honorable in all, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. I deserve to be free of my marriage when it doesn't go the way I wanted it to. If it's marriage, if it's real marriage, you vowed to stay with them for life. I want my kids to go through those rites of passage. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put them in something scantily clad. I'm going to spruce him up with some cologne. I'm going to send him into a dark room with a bunch of wicked music and press them together, their hormonal teenage selves together, and then wonder why something went wrong later. Because every kid ought to experience that. I I deserve, I deserve to have the freedom of expression, even if it contradicts Scripture. I thank God for the United States Constitution, but can I remind you, the U.S. Constitution does not trump the Bible. One was a great document written by men. The other is a perfect document written by God. When in the world did we decide we have the authority to decide what we deserve? 
We drift. Let me remind you of this. It is true. We do deserve one thing. We deserve hell. And in that particular case, I'm mighty glad God is holding out on me. Because he would have been right to cast me into the darkest part of it. But aren't you glad he sent his son to take our sins upon himself and to suffer our hell in our place? He died and was buried, and on the third day he rose again, and all he asks is that you believe on him, and you'll be saved. We drift from God's presence when we assume for ourselves authority that only belongs to you. Or to him, rather. Where are you? All right, so what? All right, Andy. That's the question. Where am I? What do I do with this? What should be my response? I want to ask you something. Where are you in your relationship with God right now? Not yesterday and not tomorrow. Right now. Where are you? Are you in hiding? Are you trying to cover up with an itchy, poorly made garment of man-made solutions? You think those leaves were a good choice? Are you living by your own base appetites and biased assessments and bogus authority? Are you content to hide in the bushes? I'm telling you right now, there's Christians hiding in the bushes. And you're covered in the prickly leaves of conviction. There they are in the bushes. Wearing leaves, getting poked by leaves and branches and twigs. And when they finally come out, what does God do? He clothes them in animal skins. Animals whose blood has been shed. Much more comfortable. Much more effective. And maybe you're here today and you're hiding in the leaves because you're not saved. God awaits with a white robe of righteousness that's symbolic of his redemptive work. And he'll give it to you. Some of us already have that robe. But we've covered it up with leaves. And we're hiding in bushes. instead of stepping back into the presence of God, letting him cleanse us and walking with him again. What are you waiting for? Where are you?